The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So sometimes if we're stuck or we're just having a practice discussion with a teacher, teachers may point out to us the manner in which we are approaching our practice, the way that we approach the practice, not necessarily what exactly we're doing or what comes up, or but just maybe the attitude or the, the way in which we engage with practice. <coughs> so this is, will not be news to anybody. You all know this. It's helpful if we have a certain amount of balance in our life in general to support a meditation practice, to support a spiritual path. And so to have this, if we uh, would like to have a regular meditation practice, does our life support it? Do we have a lot of busyness? It just may be counterproductive to add meditation onto a life in which we already feel overstressed and too many things to do and too many deadlines, busy, 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 go, go, go. Do we have a balance between work and play? Things that we do for fun, things that we do for relaxation, Do we have a balance of time alone and time with others? In a way that feels comfortable for us. Each of us may be different. Do we have a balance of rest and sleep and exercise, taking care of the body? Do we have a balance of faith and wisdom? could also use these words confidence and understanding sometimes we have lots of book knowledge but don't quite have the confidence or the to listen to what a teacher says or to do a meditation practice or maybe we may just be filled with devotion and love of the practice and yet we really don't understand what we're doing or what it's about. So can there be some balance between faith and wisdom? Can there be a balance between body and mind in our meditation practice? One an obvious way is uh, with the posture. Can we have this physical alertness and uh, some physical relaxation of this combination of soft and strong and same with the mind can there be some alertness as well as some softness and then between the body and the mind can we pay attention to the experiences in the body without completely ignoring wholeheartedly what's happening in the mind Can we pay attention to what's happening in the mind without forgetting that we have a body? And then there a balance of energy. 
can we have where there's not too much striving and not complacency? This is not so easy, this, uh, the amount of efforting that we're doing. It's so common, right? Today, many of us have found our way through our life through efforting. We've ran households, raised children, got educated, had jobs, whatever these things, many of these were through efforting. And we were rewarded for them. And it's quite something that a meditation practice doesn't have the same reward uh, structure. It doesn't work the same. More striving is not more better. Right? That doesn't strive, strive, strive doesn't mean that you're going to get, 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 get. It's quite something how this works. That there needs to be a certain amount, right? A certain application of effort, a certain amount of energy. It's not always easy to get to the cushion, right? To do a meditation practice. And yet, if we have this sense of it's all about me, 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 I, I have to, I have to, I should, I should, I should get it done, do it. I have to make it happen as opposed to I'm going to create the conditions in which meditation can arise. Maybe that sounds a little weird, but I'm going to create the conditions in which my spiritual life can unfold. I'm going to create the conditions in which I'm minimizing the severity of the obstacles. As opposed to I have to make it happen. It's more like, oh, I'm just creating the conditions. For me, I like to go for a walk in the morning, but sometimes in the morning I feel like I'm having these other things to do. And you know. <laughs> So for me, part of creating the conditions, this is maybe a little bit odd about me, but I have some of these socks that I really love. <laughs> I have two pairs of them. And I just put a pair of the socks that I really love next to my shoes that I'm going to wear to go for a walk. And I have this clothes that I wear when I'm going to go for a walk. I have them neatly folded in a little place. My socks are next to the shoes. These socks that I don't know why, they just make me happy when I put them on. (laughs) This just makes creating the conditions that I'm going to go for a walk just makes it easier, right? It's a little bit different than forcing myself out the door, but what are some of the conditions that you can put into place as opposed to just brute force effort? That works until it doesn't. It doesn't always work, right? This brute force making ourselves do things. So can we put effort towards creating the conditions that makes it more likely that what we want to arise is going to arise, that increases the likelihood way over into the, you know, almost the feeling like, of course it's going to happen. So if we can put our attention there, it could be enormously helpful. So here's this 
the Buddha, when he was um, teaching a little bit about this, there's two different stories. One, um, here's this one, is the simile of the goldsmith. So this is the, the Buddha who's um, telling a story. Suppose a goldsmith would prepare a hot furnace, heat up a receptacle, take some gold using tongs, and put it into the receptacle. Then from time to time, the goldsmith would blow on it. From time to time, the the goldsmith would sprinkle water on it. And from time to time, the goldsmith would, would just look on as the gold was heating or cooling. If the goldsmith were to only blow on it, it is possible that the gold would just burn up. If the goldsmith were to only sprinkle water over it, it it's possible the gold would cool down too much. If the goldsmith were to only just look on, it's possible that the gold would not reach the right consistency. But if the goldsmith would from time to time blow on it, from time to time sprinkle water on it, and from time to time just look on the gold, look on, the gold would become purified, bright, unblemished, rid of imperfection, malleable, wieldy, steady, attained to imperturbability, then whatever ornament the goldsmith wishes to make from it, whether it's a bracelet, earrings, a necklace, or a garland, whatever ornament that that can be achieved. One thing that's interesting about this is the way that he describes the gold after it has just the right amount of blowing and water and looking is the exact same language in which he described his mind before awakening. Purified, bright, unblemished, rid of imperfection, malleable, wieldy, steady, attained to imperturbability. So sometimes we have to apply effort. Sometimes we have to know when to back off or maybe even to cool down. And sometimes when to just look on, when to just see what's happening and maybe to know what needs to be done next or maybe you're just with equanimity that nothing in particular needs to happen. And the next story, maybe many of you have um, heard about this, heard this story, it's uh, a common one that we hear in Dharma Talks a lot. Certainly I've heard it in Dharma Talks a lot. I don't know if you have. The story of Sona, who um, goes to the Buddha and he says, I'm paraphrasing, I am striving so hard and yet I am not getting anywhere with my meditation practice. And the Buddha says to him, uh, Sona was a monastic, and the Buddha says to him, well, when you, before you ordained, when you were living at home, weren't you a lute player or some stringed instrument? Yes, Venerable Sir. Well, didn't you sometimes have to tighten the strings 
And didn't you sometimes have to loosen the strings in order to get them just right for them to have the right tone? So in the same way, with us to kind of like balance the amount of effort, the amount of, mm, uh, I'm not sure what word to use other than effort, what... um, the way that we are engaging with the practice, the amount of work that we're doing, the amount of... Sometimes it's a lot of work to, to be with what's uncomfortable. Sometimes it's a lot of work to meditate when we don't feel like we want to. Sometimes it's a lot of work when part of the self-understanding that we're gaining is not what we were hoping for. We're learning things about ourselves that are uncomfortable. But there is, can be also a momentum, a, a, a effects of our practice that doesn't show up just in our meditation period, not when we're just um, sitting. I mean, kindness practice is a, for me is a great example of this. Just because we do loving-kindness practice like formally during meditation, it doesn't mean that we're filled with love and love everybody and everything's great while we're doing it. It just makes the mind more likely that we're more inclined to have feelings of warmth and care and goodwill elsewhere, else time, uh, outside of meditation. So... There's the work of doing loving-kindness practice and maybe the, the benefits or the way it shows up is a little bit later. It's not exactly then. So then we can, maybe like the goldsmith, we're just looking on when we're feeling this uh, loving-kindness to arise. Same thing happens with mindfulness. The more we work with mindfulness, the easier it becomes same thing happens with obstacles. The more we work with them, the more it comes. The easier it, the easier it becomes. So this practice does require some effort. It does require some energy. We're not just passive. Sometimes people, me, sit up here and talk about, you know, peace and freedom. And it may sound like you're just passive and means you don't do anything. You're just sitting up here, blissing out. But what happens is with this peace and this freedom, it gives us energy. It gives us the capacity and the capability to meet difficulties, to set boundaries, to say this is not right, it should be different, and I'm going to do something about it. But this doing something about it comes from a place of freedom, a place of love, a place of care, as opposed to a place of feeling maybe threatened or... I don't want to say that we can't do anything when we feel threatened. That, of course, is not what I want to say. What I want to say is that it's, it's not passive. And part of the trick is to, or part of the art, I should say, it's not a trick. It's an art that we practice of how much energy, how much efforting to do. And to recognize this amount of 
efforting is leading towards suffering. This amount of efforting is leading not to suffering, to some happiness. And to recognize when we've slipped into some complacency and when self-care has turned into indulgence or to notice when striving has turned into some harshness. So, Sayada Utejaniya, who's a teacher, he has this expression that um, I, I, I find helpful sometimes. And that is, maybe we can all do this together, is to bring your hands together and to feel them touching. And how much effort does it take just to feel them touching? I can feel this touching, I'm talking. It doesn't take a lot of effort to just know, to notice, to be with what's happening. It just takes this amount of effort. So often we're not used to that. We're used to thinking it requires so much more. So we can just use that just to feel the pressure of the seat or the cushion against your body. That's often something that's kind of loud, right? It's that, that pressure there is loud, obvious. So because we, don't have, we have human bodies and minds, we don't have unlimited energy. So to take care of ourselves, not to use too much and not to use too little. And then... I'm just looking at my notes and I'm looking at the clock. I'm trying to think what will be the best use of our time here. Maybe I'll do this. So I started this morning talking about uh, working with the self-critic and some ways in which that we can work with it, include doing some loving-kindness practice, as well as bringing some mindfulness to it, just being aware with it, and as best we can, to bring an affectionate curiosity to it. And or to bring some space around it. And we did some a loving-kindness guided meditation and we did some small group uh, study about talking about, okay, if we're going to be our own teacher, that means we have to be our own student. What does it mean to be our own student? And we talked a little bit about what do we use to help guide us in our practice? This idea of suffering and not suffering can be a big, like trust that. Trust that as a guide of where to go and what is suffering and what is not suffering. Our understanding of that, our clarity around that grows as the path goes. And not an encouragement to not only um, work with ourselves, but to also have maybe imagine or think what a wise person would do to kind of help us with that assessment, what leads to suffering and not to suffering. And we talked about obstacles, including the hindrances, the five hindrances, and just to notice that they arise with everybody. And then what advice we could give to ourselves about the obstacles. 
And then this idea that it's helpful to be the way in which we approach our practice is with balance, but also with a recognition that it does require energy. But can we do it in a way without striving in such a way that we burn ourselves out or feel overwhelmed by it? Or And then also to know when we don't need to apply so much energy, maybe just to be aware, like that we're touching the, our hands. So now, I'd like you to just turn to one other person or if it's easiest to do it with three person and just to say for you what's one thing that you're going to take away today that you thought was helpful that is worthwhile keeping in mind just one simple thing we're just going to spend a few minutes on this but just to have an idea of okay what what what's helpful to take home and then I'll ring the bell Okay, so now just have a few minutes. Is there anything, any question that anybody has or something that uh, feels like would be helpful to have to kind of end the day with or a... Yeah, so the question was, is it going to be on audio drama? Yep, I'm uploading them as we go. So, uh, yes, they'll be uploaded within minutes of the... (laughs) Oh, great. Thank you, Delia. For those of you who can hear, she was just appreciating the richness, so. talked about the Buddha teaching 2,600 years ago. Um, so when I first started reading Buddhist literature, um, what they were saying was 2,500 years ago. <laughs> You're 100 years old. <laughs> and, and then there's some guy who's really looking at the timing and the dates, and he gave a revisionist dating, which moves it up about 80, 85 years, more like 2,400 years ago. So are, are you, have you done some research that you can revise the revisionist uh, history? I don't think it matters. I know it doesn't. I said this is off topic, but I'm a historian. I'm curious. Oh, yes, you are. You're a historian. I'll just say this. This is something the scholars love to talk about, right? So there's lots of papers out there. So, um, and honestly, I don't know. Uh, they look. They do it based on the um, epigraphical data as well as like some of the texts and you know who was the king at the time. You know all this kind of stuff. So I don't feel like I'm qualified to know the best. But to, uh, the uh, what I've read, the majority says 2,600. So I'm thinking like, okay, it's 2,600. Even more venerable than we thought. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Just also may mean that I have a you know a selection bias the things that I'm looking at compared to the other ones right so twenty six hundred 
A maha long time ago. Thank you, Mary. <laughs> For those who don't know, maha is like, you know, big, great. Okay, so it's been a delight practicing with you all today. It's been really wonderful. And I wish you all a wonderful rest of the day. Um, I'll stay up here if you have some questions and things you'd like to ask. It would be enormously helpful if we could have some people kind of straighten up and um, clean up afterwards. Maybe, no, I was going to stop the recording. This will just go in the recording. Actually, I don't know. Do you want to make an announcement or should I just make an announcement? Oh, or? Yeah, about our. No. No, no, no. I was going to just say, if we could have some people help with the bathrooms and uh, some people kind of like straighten up the kitchen and somebody like to vacuum here, that kind of stuff, that would be um, helpful. Because this is part of the beautiful thing about IMC. The people who practice here are the people who maintain the place. There isn't anybody else who's going to come in and clean it up after us. It's just a bunch of practitioners that get together on occasion. So if you're able to help, that'd be wonderful. So otherwise, I wish you all a wonderful afternoon. Thank you.